University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. We are starting a new sermon series. Talked a little bit about this maybe some uh, last week. I've talked about it somewhere, but just want to kind of let you know where we're going. This will take us through the fall season, and it's called Upstaged, the supporting characters in the Old Testament. We have not spent, at least since I've been here, we've spent a lot of time in the New Testament and especially in the Gospels, but the Old Testament is rich with stories and lessons from us to learn, and it's important to know these and to learn from them because this is the Bible that Jesus read. When Jesus referred back to the scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament and to these characters and these stories that they knew so well. And so what we'll be doing is looking at some of these stories, but we'll be looking at them from a different perspective. Instead of taking the main character's perspective, what we're going to do is look at some of these folks who might be a little bit more in the background. Supporting characters or supporting actors, we might call it if we were in uh, Hollywood or looking at TV shows or movies, because they have so, so much to teach us, including the person that we will talk about today. So, sorry about that. So we're going to start with the story of Abram. We've talked about him before. Abram is well known. He ends up becoming Abraham. God had called him out from the place that he lived. And I'm just going to kind of give you the broad overview of the story of what happens here. God called Abram out of the place that he'd lived to leave his family behind, to leave all the wealth that he had behind, and to go to a place that God was going to show him. And he said, when you go to this place, I will make a great nation out of you. I will bring many people uh, and make it create a great nation from you. And so, so Abram did what God asked. He left and moved to this different place. And while he was there, they uh, did not, were not able to have children. And so in the process of this, they found a surrogate mother um, to have a child, to carry on the promise of the blessing. But it was all, there was caused a lot of family tension and problems in the tribe, but it all worked out because Sarai ended up getting pregnant and having baby Isaac, and the promise was carried on through him. And so we go on through Isaac and Jacob and Esau and on and on and on through the story. Now, that is the broad overview, but there is something, and a whole lot of things actually, that are missing from this. And one person that you probably would not have noticed in the story, whose name maybe you haven't even heard, she is Hagar in Hebrew, or Hagar, we would know her. Now, I want to go ahead and get the elephant in the room taken care of. We are not talking about that Hagar. We are not talking about that Hagar. In fact, if we tried to look for a picture of Hagar and what she might have looked like, we don't know because this was three or three and a half thousand years ago when she existed. And all of the painters throughout the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, they wanted to paint these beautiful scriptural stories and they painted Hagar looking like this, very white. Well, nobody in that part of the world was this white at that time. But Hagar especially was very dark because she was Egyptian. She was uh, very likely uh, black, what we would think of as black today. This was about the most accurate representation of what I could see of Hagar. So I'm going to tell the story from her perspective because most people would not even have noticed Hagar. 
Here's what happens. Abraham and Abram still at the time and Sarai, they come into the promised land. They have wandered around, but they end up settling in a place in Canaan. Now, this is about 10 years or more since God made this initial promise to Abram to say that you will become a great nation. You will have children that will outnumber the number of stars in the sky. Remember the story when Abram came out and he said, count the stars, your, your descendants will be like this. And yet here it is years later and still no child of their own. And so Sarai thinks, well, we got to do something about this. Maybe God kind of needs a helping hand. And she says, you know what? She comes to Abram and says, you know what? I have a, this slave. Um, she's of good childbearing age here. So let's, let's, why don't you have a child by her and we'll help God's plan along. Maybe this is what God wants us to do. And so Abram, being the dutiful husband, says, okay, sure, and goes and does that. Now, there's a lot of things that we find wrong about this story today, but in that time, you have to understand, Hagar was virtually invisible. You had the, the tier of people and the class system in those days. There were first the wealthy people and the merchants, and these were the males. We do talk about the patriarchs when we talk about the Old Testament often. Um, these were the males, the rich people, the, the merchants, the wealthy traders. These were at the top tier. Underneath them would have been people who were less uh, fortunate maybe, but still happened to be men because they were blessed with this. You, you understand that I'm not saying the Bible condones this way of doing. This is just the way that it was at that time. Underneath them would have been women uh, of the majority culture. Underneath them would have been slaves. Uh, and those slaves, especially who were uh, of that type of people at the time of the majority culture, they would be next. Then you would go down and down and down. And finally, at the very bottom level of society in terms of personhood, you had the female slaves of a foreign nation. These people typically had no rights at all. They were completely bound to do what their owners told them to do. And they were unnoticed. They were just kind of in the background, kind of like when you eat at a fancy restaurant and the servant steps out and pushes your food down in front of you and then steps back and they're out of sight again. You typically don't even pay attention to a lot of these people. In those days, Hagar was like this. Nobody paid attention to her. Nobody cared what she would have wanted. Nobody cared if she was told by her mistress that, hey, you have to go into Abram's tent and you guys need to make a baby. This is exactly what happened in that time because she was so far down the ladder that she had no say in it. She had to go along with it and do what she was told to do. And so she became pregnant. And there was tension that grew because Sarai, even though this was Sarah's idea to have the baby in this way, Sarah was jealous because she couldn't have a baby of her own. And maybe Hagar looked at her funny and kind of, kind of made side eyes and things like that at her to kind of get her uh, going because now suddenly this woman is Abraham's favorite because Sarah hasn't been able to have a baby for years. This woman now is going to have his baby and he uh, is might be smitten with her. We don't know all the details in the story, but for some reason, tension grew between Hagar and between Sarah. And it got so bad that uh, Hagar had to leave the camp and she, flew, she fled. We assume maybe in the middle of the night. We don't know for sure, but she left the camp and she ran away. Now, you talk about all these people on the bottom level. A runaway slave is at the very, very, very bottom because once you leave your place like this, your life is forfeit. You have nothing left anymore. So Hagar was running away. She had the intention of going somewhere else trying to just get away from the situation that she was in. And she finds herself in the wilderness. She doesn't have food. She doesn't have water. She is struggling just to survive. And this is when an angel appears to her, who we later learn is God appearing in the form of an angel. 
and says, Hagar, where are you going? And she tells the story to this angel, this figure of what it is that's happening to her. Again, this is God, so God already knows, but Hagar names it. I have, I have nothing. I am nothing. The people that I have lived among, they hate me. They, they treat me with contempt. And now this has happened and I'm just leaving. And God says, go back. Go back. And I promise you that if you go back, when you go back, I will make your offspring into a great nation as well. And gives a prophecy to her that we believe actually ends up becoming the Arab people. So this is the story of how the Arabic people came to be through Ishmael, her son. And so she goes back to the camp as God asks her to, tells her to. And she has the child there. And then there's another instance later when she and her son Ishmael are sent out of the camp. But I would just want to focus back on this first time because Hagar did something extraordinary. She did something that no one else to that point had done and after that point people would not do. When God, Yahweh God, appears to to these Hebrew people and to the people who worship him, God gives them the name that he is to be known by, El Elohim, the God who is on high, Um, uh, Jireh, the God who provides. There are all these different names that God tells them that God is going to be named. But Hagar, this woman, this slave, this black slave woman who is of absolutely no means, dares to name God herself. And she says, you are El Roy, the God who sees me. Hagar was invisible to everyone else except for God. God saw Hagar. And God knew the place that she was, not the physical place, but the emotional and spiritually drained place that she was that made her run away from the place that she called home. God saw her and God knew her. And she dared to name God back. You are El Roy, the God who sees. I think one of our basic wants and desires as human beings is to be seen to be seen, to be known, to be loved and accepted for who we are. And God sees us. Now, we read the Psalms, Marlinsley read the Psalm for us earlier, this Psalm 139. And, and if you go back and read through that and, and flip through uh, Psalm 139, you, you might have a hard time telling whether the psalmist thinks it's such a good thing or not. You see me and you know me when I get up, when I go out. If I try to go over here, you're in front of me and you're behind me. If I go and hide, you even find me there. It's, a, it's kind of a, almost a scary thing, like terrified, like I can't get away from this God who sees me. Some of you have seen this meme and this is how it falls in. Uh, it's this idea that, there, that God is always looking at us and always peeking around the corner. I saw that. I saw you do that. I saw what you said. I heard in your mind what you didn't say. I know what you did. And this is not the kind of seeing that we hear in Hagar's story. It's not this kind of God who's waiting to throw a lightning bolt down at us or drop a rock on us or make something happen when we've done something bad because God does not operate that way. It's more this idea of of a mother who, who peeks in on a child who is sleeping and sees that child and knows them and loves them absolutely completely. This is the love that God has for us. And when God sees you, God sees every single part of you down deep. All the things that you count as skills and talents, all the wonderful things that you've done and accomplished in your life, 
God sees those. God loves you. God sees all those awful things that you've done, those things that you've, times that you've made mistakes, when you've said something that you shouldn't have said, when you did something that you wished that you hadn't done, even those things that are behind, that, that deep inside of you that you would not admit to any single person on this planet. God sees those things, and God knows you, and God loves you, just like God saw Hagar and loved Hagar. And even in that moment when she had run away and forfeited her life, God gave her a promise to love her and to help her story move forward. And God kept that promise just like God has made a promise to you and to me. Whoever you are, wherever you have been, whatever you have done in your life, God knows you. But not in that I saw that kind of way. God knows you and sees you and loves you in this way as a father or a mother loves a child. God made you, just as the psalmist says, I knit you together, you knit me together in the, in the, in the womb, uh, you know my deepest thoughts. God knows us and absolutely loves us. And this is what Hagar teaches us, that it's okay to give ourselves to God in that way. We don't have to hold anything back. We don't have to, when we come in prayer, there's, there's, there's no like, oh, that's too small to bother God with. God knows already what we need and what we want. It's a matter of coming to God in that relationship and being seen and known by somebody who loves us utterly and completely. If you look through the story of the Gospels, Jesus did this all the time. Jesus uh, comes upon people and he notices the people that nobody else in society notices. And this is generally what the Gospel writers pick out. Uh, you think of Matthew, the tax collector, who's sitting at the table. All of his people hate him. He's a traitor to the Jewish people because he's collecting taxes for the Romans. Everybody's coming up to the table to pay their taxes. He's taking his portion. Jesus comes up and says, I see you. I know what's going on inside you. Come with me, follow me. Jesus walks along the seashore while everybody else is going about doing their business and buying fish, and there are the fishermen down there mending their nets. And Jesus looks at them and says, Peter, I see you. John, James, Andrew, I see you. Come and follow me. The woman who uh, had the bleeding disorder, who touched Jesus' robe as he was going through a crowd, Jesus stops immediately and he says, who touched me? You remember this story? And he turns around and he notices her and he tells her that she is made well. It's these people over and over who no one else wants to notice. The blind man who's crying out by the road that everybody wants to ignore. The man in the cemetery who was full, filled with demons that everybody had pushed out of the community. He was so ridden with demons and so crazy that they just made him live in the graveyard and tried to chain him up. And and Jesus comes to this man and sees him, and the man is transformed because Jesus sees him. Even the Samaritan woman who was at the well, and when you are familiar with this story, but all the other women came early in the morning, and she was such an outcast in her community. She didn't want to be seen. She came out to the well by herself at the middle of the day, and there was Jesus waiting at the well, and Jesus saw her and knew her and loved her. So this is the message that Hagar teaches us today that God loves us and sees us and knows us completely. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. All those parts of you, when you think back and think, does God love me even with that? Yes, even with that. And if that is enough for you this morning, then that is the message that you need to take out, that God loves you and God sees you. Because in being seen, we are transformed because we can accept who we are if God accepts us and loves us as we are. 
but it can go farther. And just as Jesus, as we follow in Jesus' footsteps, we also can offer that to other people. There are people in our society who are outcasts, who are virtually ignored, those people who are standing in the middle of the road as you're sitting at the light there asking for food, uh, those people who are in the restaurant behind the counter just doing their thing, making sure that you have your food or your coffee. There are people all around us every day that people don't notice. What would it look like? What would it look like for us to stop and see them, to smile at them, to call them by name if you know their name, to ask what their name is if you don't know what it is yet, and talk to them and have a conversation with them, to smile at them in the middle of what might be a frustrating, hard day for you, what might be an awful day for them, just to offer grace and to offer a smile and a kind word. Who needs to be seen around us today? Who in our world, in our society, in this city, this community, who is invisible that we need to pay attention to? I'm going to offer now a time of response, and it's a time of just quiet reflection. I want to invite you just to a couple of minutes of silence to take in this information, both that God loves you and knows you and sees you for who you are and loves every bit of you and accepts you, and also this concept that we can take that seeing, that sight, and turn that out on the world around us and change somebody else's life at the same time. I offer this time to you in silence, and in a couple of minutes we'll come back and finish with the song.